We're going to go ahead and continue in our series this morning, Weird Stuff Christians Believe. Uh, we're going to go ahead and jump in and uh, look at some, some, something that honestly is a pretty large topic uh, within the scriptures. Uh, there's not, it's not going to be like a typical morning for us in the sense that uh, normally we would kind of grab a hold of a, a single verse or a single passage and we'd kind of rip into it. The theme that we're going to cover this morning is so pervasive in scripture that I want us to just read a couple of passages here, kind of keep them in our mind, help us get kind of a picture of what it is that we're <clears throat> discussing this morning. Uh, this series, What Weird Stuff Christians Believe, is really based around the idea that uh, there's a lot of information out in the world claiming to say what it is that the Bible teaches, what Christians believe, what the gospel is. And what we wanted to do is kind of take some time as a church and set the record straight on really what is it that it means to be a believer? What are the things that we believe? What are the kind of big ideas of the Christian religion, of the Christian faith? What is it that the gospel teaches us? And uh, for lack of a, a better way to put this, what does the gospel require of us to believe? So we're kind of jumping in and taking a look at these things. So we're going to read some verses here and uh, then jump right in. How's that sound? Pretty good with that? Okay, awesome. It says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We've got Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Last but not least, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's Pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word, and we ask that you would help us to hear your word, help us to receive your word. Help us, God, today as we as we study, as we look at a big idea in your word. God, help us to understand it. God, give me the ability to articulate what it is that uh, you've given me today. Give us ears to hear it. Give us hearts to receive it. Give us minds, God, today to understand what it is that you're saying to us as your people and as your church Help us to grasp this idea. God, help it to change the way we live, not just the way we think. God, let it transform the way we think. But let that transformation in thinking lead to a transformation in living so that we don't waste our time simply coming to a building, hearing somebody ramble for a while, and then go home. But God, we came here this morning 
desperate to be transformed by you. And we believe just in the same way that you come and you be with us in worship, you will come and you will be with us as we open your word and you will lead us and you will teach us and you will change us. And God, do not let the, 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 the idea creep into our minds that an encounter with you ends at the end of this building. But God, let us grab a hold of you. Let us carry you from this place. Let us smell of you. Let us be saturated with you. Let us be changed by you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Come on, amen. All right, so this morning, we're going to kind of jump into a big topic. But just so that we understand where we are, at this point in this series, we're kind of following the narrative of scripture, we've seen how uh, God is the God of the Bible is the God of Trinity is the triune God of the scriptures. We've seen how God created everything as a theater for his holiness and his glory to be demonstrated. We saw that how in the midst of that, he uniquely formed man as an instrument uh, like the rest of creation, but yet unique. We bear his image though. We bear his image. We have fallen. And through that fall, his image is marred and our consciences are seared. And really, I want us to just kind of, if I can real fast, zoom pretty close into that and try to make this as real as we can. Without any raising of hands, I want you to stop and think for a moment and, and, and just be honest with yourself. And have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever, has anybody ever wronged you? Not just wronged you, but wronged you in a way and caused wrong against you in such a way that they, that you, you felt not only wronged, but betrayed. And now stop and think about that for a moment and stop and realize that God creates the entire world perfectly suitable for people to live on it. God made everything Perfect for us to live here. He even placed the planet in the solar system in just the right spot. He even placed the solar system in the context of the galaxy in just the right spot so that we could, we could perceive and see all of the wonder and glory and splendor that he made in the galaxy, but yet are tucked into this little arm of the galaxy to keep us safe. He made it good and safe and great. And then in the midst of, of it, though he placed this in the galaxy in the perfect spot and in the solar system in the perfect spot, he then takes the planet and he forms man on this perfectly formed planet and then creates a garden of everything good and wonderful and, and, and lovely. And he places man in that garden and he says, go on and enjoy it. He makes man and he makes woman for the mutual enjoyment of one another. He places them in the perfect environment, perfectly custom suited for them. He says, look, here's everything. It's all for you. Enjoy it. Don't eat this one tree or else it's going to hurt. And what does man do but utterly and totally and completely betray God and ruin what he's given him? Our first parents, Adam and Eve, utterly and totally destroyed the perfect gift that God gave them. If there is a bigger betrayal in history, I don't know about it. The perfect, just, and holy, and righteous, and caring, and servanthood-filled God was betrayed by man. Now, here's why I I drive that home so much. I'm just going to be real. If I am ever in a place financially to build you a custom home of your dreams and you burn it down, we're done. (laughs) I'm just being honest. I mean, like, really, come on. When when you give a gift to somebody and they utterly betray you in that gift and they ruin it. Anybody ever bought their kid a toy and like 35 seconds later the toy's destroyed? 
You don't really want to buy him another toy, right? You get betrayed by a friend. You get betrayed by somebody who you love and who you serve. Our normal reaction, let's be real, fight or flight. Either I'm going to beat out of you and get revenge for what you just did to me, or I'm going to, we're done. We're, I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm not being around you anymore. And I'm, I'm going to mean mug you every time I see you at the grocery store. Like that, that's, that's the normal response when we're betrayed. And yet that's exactly where we left the story off last week. And here's the amazing thing. God doesn't respond with fight or flight. God doesn't come down and beat the living tar out of us. He doesn't even pull himself far away and say, forget you people. You can just ride that little mud ball around until it burns up. But rather recklessly and relentlessly, he pursues us. And the instrument with which he pursues us is our big idea today. It's, this, it's the idea, it's the doctrine of covenant. Some of you think we're going to talk about witches today. It's the big idea. It's called covenant. I would propose to say that it's probably the biggest idea in the Bible that never gets preached about. And the reason why it doesn't is not because preachers are confused by it or because we're ashamed of it. It's because it, it is so pervasive in the Bible that it's almost like we talk about it every week without ever really realizing we're talking about it. It is that relentless, reckless, unabandoned pursuit that God has toward us. It plays out in covenant. It could be said that the Bible is a book of covenants. You've got the old covenant portrayed clearly in the Old Testament. You have the new covenant begun and, and understood and explained in the New Testament. It's a, it's a book of covenants in that sense. It's a book of covenants in the sense that they're constantly throughout the Bible. There's tons of them in the scriptures. It's a book of covenants in the sense that, that they carry the theme of the Bible throughout them. The, the, the story, the narrative of the Bible, you could say, is carried along by the covenants that are shown. So here's our doctrinal statement today, because I know you want to have it. As Christians, we believe God has made covenants with his people in order to demonstrate his loving kindness. I'm going to read that again. As Christians, we believe God has made covenants with his people in order to demonstrate his loving kindness. So what the heck is a covenant? (laughs) I'll just scream about it and we'll call that good enough. No, we're going to jump in here. What's a covenant? Well, a covenant is an agreement between two parties. How many of you just thought, so it's a $6 church word for contract? It's not a contract. It's actually uniquely different, profoundly different than a contract. Covenant versus contract. Let me see if I can break this down really, really quick. In a, in a contract, there is a negotiation, right? Like I come to you with terms, you come back to me, we go back and forth and see who can get away with screwing the other person over more. Right? Like, like uh, it was a good deal. I got a good deal there. Anybody ever been to Mexico and tried to buy a pair of, you know, Oakleys? No, just me? Okay. Um, 
I remember being in Indonesia and getting in haggling arguments with a guy who literally, he, 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 this guy comes up to me in Indonesia, hanging out on the island of Bali, wandering around at 15 years old like an idiot in the bad part of town for reasons I won't talk about. And um, this person comes up to me and makes me, says, you have to buy a ring from me. I was like, I don't want to buy a ring from you. He opens up this case. You have to buy a ring or I'll kill you. And then we started haggling over the price. I don't buy one. You're going to kill me, but your price is negotiable. He's like, yeah, like, cool. Okay. Then we can work with this. <laughs> all right. We try to, in a, in, a, in a contract, it's all about negotiating. It's all about seeing how I can get away with the better deal. And I can feel like I got a good enough deal, but yet made you feel like you got a good enough deal that we can both kind of be here. It's all about me. It's all about what I can get out of it in a covenant. When a covenant is drawn up, it involves investing and giving yourself and, and, and pouring out everything to serve the other person on the other person's behalf. It's for the benefit of the other that you enter into a contract. In a contract, or in a, in a, into a covenant, in a, in a contract, I only give what I have to give to give what I need, to get what I need. In a covenant, I go all in to make sure you have what you need. And the reason for that is the big difference between contract and covenant. In a contract, If one party fails to meet their end of the contract, the contract is null and void. So if you come to me, let's say I'm a, I'm a builder, I build houses and you come to me, we negotiate. You say, here's the plans. This is the house I want to have built. We negotiate a price. We agree on a $300,000. I'm going to build you the house. You're going to give me $300,000. Shake on it, sign the papers, lawyers stamp it. We're good. If I build the house and you come to me and go, dude, all I got was like 225,000. Hope that's cool. I'm keeping your house. Here's a cardboard box. Have fun. If you walk into the house and from the outside, it looks gorgeous and you walk in and all it is, is just plaster held up with some tape. Come on. Looks great from the outside, but nothing's right on the inside. You're keeping your money. I can have my pile of plaster. If one party doesn't fulfill their end of it, contract is broken. In a covenant, it is uniquely different because if one party doesn't fulfill their side of it, in a covenant, the other party is required to make up the difference. So in a covenant, we come together, join together and say, let's build a house. So I'll provide the money, you provide the work. And if you somehow don't have the money, I'll make up for it and finish the house. Because I'm serving you. We're in this together. We're joined together. Now, in in the Bible, there is covenants made like crazy throughout the Bible. Like I said, you could even say that the Bible is a book of covenants. There's covenants between men and men. There's covenants between where, where, where men come to God and make a covenant with him. And then there's the big covenants where God makes covenants with people. And this morning, all I have time to talk about is the last ones where God makes covenants with people. There's six major covenants that God makes with people that makes with man in the Bible. There they are. I'm not going to preach about them, but I just put it up there so that you could jot those down. If you want to kind of look into them, we've got Adam and Eve. We've got Noah and his family. We've got Abraham and his descendants. We have Moses and the, the children of Israel, the Israelites. We have David in the kingdom of Israel. And then we have Jesus and the church. These are the six big Covenants, the six major covenants that God makes with people throughout the Bible. These kind of covenants are even more unique and even more different than contracts because they're God making them with us. And God comes to us in every one of these covenants. God comes to man and says, here are the terms and conditions. 
I'm God, you're not. Take it or leave it. Comes to us. This kind of covenant, let me put it this way, is a bond in blood sovereignly administrated. Every one of these is a bond in blood that sovereignly administrated. Let me unpack that. It's a bond. We are together in a covenant. It's not you and then there's me. It's us. Covenant language is a covenant of together. It's a covenant of bondedness. It's a covenant of unity. It's a covenant of community. It's a covenant. It's, it's language of shoulder to shoulder, side by side, moving forward. If you fall down, I'll pick you up. If you fail, I'll make up the difference. If I fail, you'll make up the difference. I'm not going to let what is, is required by the covenant not happen. It's a bond. But it's not just a bond. It's a bond in blood. Literally, a contract, a covenant required the shedding of blood. It required a sacrifice. It required blood. Why? Because it's gross? Sort of, but not really. The, the reason why it required blood is because life is in the blood. And the picture here is this. This covenant, this, this agreement, this, this bond is a bond of life and for life. It's saying by, by it being a, a, a Agreed upon and bound in blood, it's saying this, not only will I give my death for it, I'll live my life for it. It fundamentally, when you enter into a covenant, when God made these covenants, it fundamentally shifted the way that we live our lives. You can't enter into a covenant and keep living the way you always lived. It's impossible because it requires, it is a bond in blood, and it's a bond in blood that is sovereignly administrated. So we get back to this. God sets the terms. There's no arguing, bartering, negotiating. It's not, well, maybe if I could you. God comes and says, look, I'm making a covenant with you. It's a bond in blood, sovereignly administrated. Six major covenants. We see them there. Each one of them binds God and man, requires the shedding of blood, And God is the star of all of them. And the constant theme, this is what I want you to hear this morning. The constant theme through all of these is the relentless, reckless pursuit of God toward us. Thanks. It is the, the going, it is the chasing after of God toward a people. In Second in Chronicles, we see the, this great verse that talks about how God is chasing out. He's, he's, he's looking around, he's seeking somebody, he's seeking out a people whom he can show himself strong and mighty and powerful to. Side note here that I just want to touch on for us as a church there's kind of a, a question that gets asked sometimes of us as a church, and there's some uh, probing sometimes. Some of you, this is going to mean something. A lot of you, it's not, and that's why I love you so much. Um, there's a movement inside the church that's kind of been pervasive called the seeker-sensitive movement. We get asked sometimes, are you guys a seeker-sensitive church? You guys sensitive to seekers? Truth is, 
we're extremely sensitive to the seeker because the truth is, is that nobody, the Bible says, is truly seeking after God. God is pursuing man. So we are extremely sensitive to the pursuit that God has toward people because God is relentlessly, is recklessly, is unabandonedly, is come on somebody, is, is scandalously chasing down a people to show himself strong to. He is looking for a people who he can go, those are some people that if I do good toward, the universe will know that I am gracious. He's the one who's seeking. We're not the ones who's seeking him. So we have this this great picture in these covenants. We have the creation, we have the fall, and then we have the redemption of all things. God creates all things, man screws up all things, God redeems all things. And the in-between moments there are the drama of the Bible and the drama of creation. And they're amazing because they're played out in what? Covenants. Covenant is the, is the stage in which the drama of that redemption plays forth. And here's the sad but true fact. In each one of these covenants, man failed God every time. In every one of these covenants, we fail God. In each covenant, God is seen more clearly in what he does with and for man. In each covenant, God shows himself more and more fully. In Adam and Eve, he shows us family. In, in Noah, he shows us the beginning of redemption. In, in, in Abraham, he shows us how, how he wants a tribe and a people. How he then takes from Moses that tribe and people and makes them into a nation of kings and priests. He then in, in David in the Davidic covenant, he takes that nation of kings and priests and makes them a royal empire. Come on. And then in Jesus, he takes that royal empire in Jesus and the church and broadcasts it, goes public, goes global with it through the gospel. And in each one of these, we utterly, totally, and completely fail God. And yet we see God more fully and more completely showing himself as faithful and strong in each and every one of them. And in all of them, God has shown his good and God has shown his faithful. And this is why covenants carry the themes of scripture. They cover, they carry the themes of redemption. Because in each one, we see God more fully and more completely shown as good and faithful and glorious. Adam fails not to lead his family right, eats. God still is gracious with him. Come on, Noah creates the ark, does all this great, gets drunk and runs around naked as a jailbird. And God still is faithful to him. That should give somebody in here hope. Abraham gets this promise from God. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And the dude gets so impatient. He sleeps with his wife's servant so he can have a baby. And God is still faithful to him. Moses, the children of Israel are just a great picture of utter and total faithlessness toward God. Moses even completely disobeys God in the way he's supposed to lead. God's still faithful to the children of Israel. He's still faithful to Moses. David commits, he abandons his post as the leader of the nation of Israel, commits adultery 
and murder, and God still fulfills the promise to David that his descendants will sit on the throne of the nation of Israel forever, even fulfills it even greater in Jesus, come on, coming and being on the throne forever in God's people. And the church, just right in alignment with all of this, constantly is faithless, constantly falls, constantly does not fulfill the the the, the our end of the covenant, and God consist, consistently and continually brings revival and renewal and brings back his church to life consistently and constantly and God do it again. We see this forever and we see God being faithful. And it's through covenant that the seeker finds us. Come on, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son so that we can have life in him. I don't celebrate. We're going to talk about worship. This is, this is where worship, an understanding of this will take your worship deeper than you ever thought possible. And we're going to get to worship here in a couple of weeks and it's going to be great. You got to understand, I don't worship because I found Jesus. I worship because I was found by Jesus. He was never lost. Every other world religion, every one of them, is about how you can get to God. If you do X, Y, Z, A, B, C, in the right order, standing right, with the right attitude, never failing, always doing the right thing, then somehow maybe God will accept you. Scripture teaches the exact opposite. You fail God, you betray him, you screw up, you mess up, you end up in a pile of nothingness and God still pursues you. You run away from that pursuit, he keeps chasing you. Because God is good. I want us to hear this verse again, Galatians chapter 4. Because this is us, I wish I had more time to unpack each of these covenants, I don't. But I want us to understand that we exist in covenant. Now, we're going to get into in the next couple of weeks how Jesus came, died, paid for our sins, and how this covenant got enacted and got thrust upon us. But I, I want us to just get this and then one more thing. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. That's us so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That word Abba is what we would say in English is like daddy or papa. It's an intimacy that we have with the Father. It's an intimacy that we have with God. And it's all because Jesus came down and shed his blood that we might be in a covenant with God. We've been given the spirit of a son through this covenant. You've been accepted. You've been pursued. You've been won over. And if you haven't yet, look out. Because God is a pursuing God. God is a seeking God. God is not a God who sits back and goes, well, I hope somebody picks me for the dance. Really hope somebody down there thinks I'm pretty enough and decides to be my son. Now he pursues you. He will knock you down. 
It will grab you by the back of the neck and he will drag you into relationship with him. Sometimes it's gentler for some of you than it was for me, but let me tell you what, it wasn't gentle at all with me. It's much like when my daughter, Valencia, were getting in the car. Anybody have kids? Come on. Anybody watch kids that are three or four years old? Something distracts them and what do they do? Run off. And when I see my daughter running toward the street, I don't go, well, I really hope that she decides to come back to me. (laughs) Throw your wild oats, sweetie. Have fun playing in the street. It'll be great for you. Hope you choose me. No, I grab her by the back of the neck, drag her back to the car, stick her in a car seat and buckle her in. Anybody else experience redemption that way or is it just me? It's like, I'm happy doing my own thing out here, God, and God would not let me go. And here's the thing I want us to end with this morning. There we go. Get your Bibles. We're actually going to open our Bibles today. I'm not going to let you get away with just reading it off the screen. Luke chapter 22. This is where I want us to see just the pervasiveness of covenant in our lives. Luke 22, 14. We take communion every week. Why do we take communion every week? Because communion is a picture of covenant. This is the reminder of the covenant that we have with God, the covenant that we're under with him. So I want us to read the story that Jesus, that is shown here, the, the, the retelling, the recounting of Jesus giving the instructions of this. I want us to understand the importance of what we do. This isn't just like, well, you know, at the end of service, we kind of have more worship and there's really, really, really good homemade organic GMO free bread and grape juice that we, you know, get to eat. I don't really know why, but it's like, cause we're saved. No, it's a remembering. It's a reminding of ourselves, ourselves of the covenant that we're under Here's where we see the story. Jesus here, right before he goes to the cross, is having his Passover meal, and he's explaining to us that this meal, here it comes, is all about him. It's all about Jesus. All of the, all of the covenants that we saw, all those things that I put up there, they're all pictures of Jesus, better and better, fuller and fuller as they go on. They, they show us consistently and constantly that we are going to fail God and he is going to make up the difference because it's a covenant, not a contract. So Jesus here is showing his disciples that this Passover meal is all about him. And when the hour came, he reclined, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Do you see the pursuing language that Jesus is singing? I've desired to eat this with you. I've wanted to have this kind of intimacy and fellowship and teach you these things. I have desired to come after you and open up your blind, stupid eyes. You've run away. I'm coming after you. Sit down, shut up, and hear what I'm about to say. That's my paraphrase. And he took a cup, 
And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, a cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. When we take communion, we remember as believers that we are bound to Jesus in covenant. Not contract. Well, I prayed for a new car. Jesus didn't give it to me, so I'm going to go be a Mormon. Well, I'm really mad at God because I really felt like I should have got that promotion at work because I tithed once. He didn't meet my needs, so I'm out of here. It's not a covenant. It's not about you getting your needs met. It's not about you getting your felt needs somehow realized so that you feel more satisfied and fulfilled as a person. Jesus came, his body was broken, his blood was shed so that he might fulfill the requirements of the covenant on your behalf. We are bound to him in his reckless pursuit of us by covenant. We celebrate because God sticks with us when we don't stick with God. We celebrate because God is with us when we don't want to be with him. And we remember each and every week in the taking of communion, that covenant that he has made with us. I want us to understand as a church, the reason why we do this. This is not religion. This is not ceremony. This is remembrance. This is me remembering that I have my position, my place with Jesus, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. It's why we take it each and every week to remind ourselves of what it is that he's done for us in the way that he gave us to remember it. And I pray desperately that we don't do it quickly, that we don't do it easily, but we do it with the weightiness of reminding ourselves constantly because here's the thing you're going to fail and you're going to mess up and the enemy's going to come and he's going to go see you're done you failed god again he's through with you and the reality is as long as his body is broken and as long as his blood is spilled there is forgiveness for your sin before you ever did it he died for it that's the gospel and that's the good news and that's what we celebrate in the covenant of redemption that we have in Jesus. Can somebody get excited about that? Let's stand to our feet. We're going to go right back into worship. Tables open. And here's what we, we, we need to do today. There's going to be a lot of, of shouting and screaming today. We're going to have a, a party at our house. If you didn't know about this, you're all welcome and invited. Come on out and party with us. There's apparently some kind of sporting event on today. And it'll be on and there'll be beverages and food, and we're going to celebrate. But here's what I would love for us to be able to do first. Let's celebrate the victory of all victories that Jesus won for us on the cross. The table's open. If you've experienced that redemption, this table is available for you. We take by method known as intention. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, 
and partake individually, uh, I will just admit, we, we probably should let you rip a piece off, but that's icky, so we cut it up for you. I love you. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to enter back into worship, and we're going to celebrate Jesus. And it might get a little loud, and that's okay. And we invite you to worship and to rejoice and to celebrate because God is good. So Holy Spirit, come and be in our midst. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Holy Spirit, come and empower us to celebrate, to exalt Jesus in our midst. Jesus, come and be glorified in this place.